Oh, bye. <laughs> Once we start recording. Bye, meaning I'm going yeah. to mute myself. So this is, I'm going to make this a, like a, I'm, I'm going to make it a pretty brief. I think it's a quick class. Let's see how long it, it shouldn't go too long. Um, like I said, it's in the middle of like the hectic time of trying to get ready for holiday and like have a life. And for me, I don't know, juggling a lot of different things, but, but it is important actually, because this is going to be the situation this year, whether it be getting ready for Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, like it would be nice to have another class before Yom Kippur, but our timing, it's going to be very hard to concentrate on the holidays. Um, I think because it's, they're flowing right into the summer, which feels, it does, it's not like it never happens, but it does feel unusual. And, and I always feel that I love our version of Rosh Hashanah. Like I don't understand having your new year in January when clearly September, when the kids are like school starting, and the end of summer feels like a new beginning. No, it always feels to me like the right time for, a, for to, to think of the year beginning again. And I like the way the Jewish calendar sets up the year. And I, I like that it thinks of spring as the, the actual first month of the year, which is what it feels like to us when spring comes along. We feel like we wake up again. We're revitalized. Um and winter feels like a, a closing down, you know, a time of closing down. And that's why Hanukkah makes sense in, in the winter rather than having something like Rosh Hashanah. Um, so even though we're still in our summer head, we're going to try to take a few minutes to think about, wait, where, where are we supposed to be mentally in the coming days? I was, I always think a lot about, and I always talk about the journey from Tisha B'Av to Rosh Hashanah, where our summer although it's a wonderful time, is also a time as Jews that we are forced to, to think about the dangers of the world we live in, the sadness of the world we live in. Uh, some years that's hard. I definitely feel like the past couple of years, that's been really easy. Unfortunately, you know, you, all you have to do is turn on the news and you're sort of in the mindset of feeling like, what are we all going to do? How are we going to, how are we going to, I don't want to say how we're going to make it. That's very extreme. But but what's going on? Like Raina and I, before the class, we're talking about Afghanistan. And like, are we supposed to figure out how to fix Afghanistan? Like that thought. Am I sitting at my computer supposed to figure out how to fix Afghanistan? It, it It's actually, I think, something that a lot of people think about. Coronavirus is awesome. You know what I did this morning? I actually Googled the words. Um, what's really happening with Corona? <laughs> Guys, don't Google that. All that pops up is like weird conspiracy theories. Like nothing from a medical source came up. But I was like, could anybody give me like real statistics? What's happening? I hear that there's more people in the hospital, but are they really ill? Are the vaccines working? Are they not? Do I have to wear a mask? And again, do I have to figure this out on my own? Somebody posted on uh, some type of Instagram thing, uh, you know, instead of listening to the news, do your own research. I don't want to. I don't want to. There's a lot of things I have to figure out. And I don't know if what I want to figure out is if the CDC is lying to me or not. I don't have the energy for that. And I don't want to have like long conversations with people who have uh, evidence about vaccines and other... I. It's too much for my brain. I'm sorry if I'm the only one. Maybe you guys are really enjoying this and feel like from your armchairs, 
that you're going to fix planet Earth. And I wish you power to that. And I hope that you're successful. Like I'm reading about a forest fire and I'm like, really? Like, where are those big helicopter thingies with like water under them? Like, why aren't they using 12? Do you guys, is that, is that the only one who's like, why can't we put out the forest fires? What's happening? Um, so I'm like, what, what do I do? Do I write a note to like the governor of California about like water usage? I don't know. On the Shabbat table, I said something about almonds in California, how they lose, use a lot of water. But I don't know if I really want to invest my time and energy in almond growing in California. Like I'm concerned and it's serious. And I'm sad and I'm upset. And I feel like the, the anxiety of being alive in a complex age where we get a lot of information. But I don't think, and I, not I don't think, I think that I hope that intelligent and smart people are using their powers to the utmost of their ability to make the world a better place. And this is part of my commitment to, to a good education. I, you know, I say it very frequently. It's very nice to pray for, uh, for the world to get better and to hope for the world to get better. But there's nothing quite like actually creating a generation of children with the, the equipment that they need to solve the world's complex problems, whether it be through science, through the ability to read and understand the world, to be critical thinkers, to ask good questions, to engage. Um, even though the world is filled with, with a lot of craziness and as Jews, we want to protect our children from that. So we, we're not really sure how, you know, so we use yeshiva to educate them. But then when it comes to college, we're getting very nervous. I think we still have to be putting tons and tons of energy into ensuring that we're raising very, very intelligent, smart people who could figure out forest fires and cancer and coronavirus and, you know, all, all and, and politics and all the other issues that are plaguing us. And that's where a lot of energies go. However, around Rosh Hashanah time, we start entering, this is the mindset that I think the calendar wants to push us to. It says, listen, yes, during the summer, things got very, you looked at all the sadness and you looked at how things could go wrong. When Rosh Hashanah comes around, you need to start thinking about how things are going right. Uh, Rosh Hashanah should be a time where you feel um, optimistic. Uh, happiness is a part of it. We're going to save happiness in the form of pure joy for Sukkot. Sukkot is the holiday where the Torah says you need to be fully, like it's simcha is its main goal. And of course, you have to wait because you want to wait till after Yom Kippur and then you celebrate with Sukkot. So Rosh Hashanah is not like you're, you're not saying happy, happy, joy, joy, but you are saying, I refuse to be cynical about the world. Okay. So I just said all the hard, the things that could go wrong, but Rosh Hashanah, the statement that it makes is I refuse to be cynical about the future. I must, according to, to the, to the, to, to the, the prayers that I'm reading, to the practices I'm engaging in, I must put myself into an optimistic frame of mind. And what does optimism look like is a very big question. And it's something we have to focus our energies on so that when we come to the holiday of Rosh Hashanah, we're in the right head, right? Optimism is not cavalier, okay? It's not, it doesn't say everything is okay. Why am I upset? That's not, I don't think that's a good definition of somebody when they see some of, of being optimistic. Optimism says things can get better. 
things can change. Things are going to change. On Rosh Hashanah, we spend a lot of time reminding ourselves and through our prayers, reminding HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which is interesting, about a relationship that helps things get better. What do I mean by that? So when we're praying on Rosh Hashanah, the first part of our prayer, and I'm thinking specifically, there's a lot of different parts of it. And I'm thinking about the Musaf prayer, where we're all sort of thinking about those three different sections, you know, Malchuyot, Zichronot, and Shofarot. The opening section of the Musaf prayer on Rosh Hashanah is called Malchuyot. It's when we announce God's sovereignty. And we spend a lot of time on it. You, 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 if you're trying to remember, like, wait, which I, I always forget Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah, they get like very mixed up in my brain. Okay. Yom Kippur is the one where all of a sudden you have to get down on the floor and bow down, like in the middle of praying. You know how you're always so nervous, like, wait, are they going down? Are we doing, are we getting on the floor now? Is this the moment? Like, that's Yom Kippur. Rosh Hashanah, we don't do that. Rosh Hashanah is the one that when we're in the middle of the Amidah, they're going to blow the shofar in the middle. Also causes a lot of tension during the prayer, right? No, just me. You know, like when you're praying, you're like, are they about to blow? Am I very far behind? Do I stop? Do I stop and listen? Do I catch? Is Guys, nobody feels this way. I'm going to say it anyway. I don't care. Oh, Sandy, thank you for waving. I appreciate it. I have a lot. This is what, it's nice to pray with other people, but there's also like a lot of feelings with it. Um, so yeah, yeah, you have to, you have to, in the middle of the Rosh Hashanah prayer, we build up three times to three different blowings of the shofar. Okay. So the first one, we talk about God's kingship. We call it Malchuyot. According, I, I, you know, Rambam talks about this a lot, but all the rabbis talk about it and the whole Torah talks about it, that the first step to an optimistic lifestyle, right? To believing that things will and can be better is accepting God's power in this world. I mean a lot of things with those words. I, I find I, I, I don't want them to be taken uh, too literally. I, I'm meaning them on multiple levels. If we believe that this world has a creator and that there's that it was created with a purpose and with goodness in mind. And let's say, even if you struggle with that, most people do not, most people accept that as a given. Some people struggle with that. Even if you struggle with it, if you believe that there is, there are forces larger than you in this world, right. Um, and that you can exist in relationship to it. And that that force is divine, a divine force in this world. A lot of the anxiety that we feel about our existence, about humanity, it's not that it goes away, but we do become more optimistic about it. We do say, wait, um, there are larger forces at work. The larger forces at work, instead of being in a conspiratorial mode of thinking that the forces at work in this world are evil, right? That's, that's the, the number one cause of anxiety in society right now are conspiracy theories that convince us that evil operators are controlling our existence 
and manipulating us towards evil. Now, I'm not even going to say that all those theories are incorrect. I'm not here to, to I'm not here to engage that way. Some of them may be very well true. I, I know that there are definitely evil people trying to do evil things in this world. If you accept that above and beyond all of that, there is a force for order and good that is larger than all of those. That is the beginning of optimism, that you can engage in a thought that says, wait, goodness wins, order wins, righteousness wins. First of all, it says it in the Torah. Second of all, it was committed to us at Har Sinai. Third of all, I have seen it over and over that yes, there might be, there are, there are dark phases for humanity, but they always disappear. Goodness does emerge and humanity has been on an upward, not a downward trajectory for millennia. Now that people, for whatever reason, people like to argue that we've been on a downward trajectory. It's untrue. People are living longer. People are healthier. People are happier. It's easier to be alive in the world today than it was a thousand, two thousand, three thousand years ago. It is. It comes with its own complexity. But we have toilet bowls. I'm sorry. It's a big deal, guys. We don't say thank you enough for them. We say Asher Yatsad, but we have to really, really mean it when we say it. Things are generally better. We've cured a lot of diseases. We figured out how the world operates. We've gone to space. We're getting to Mars. We're figuring a lot of things out. That's what I mean by the universal order towards goodness. And the first part of our prayers forces us to concentrate on that and to say over and over again, Baruch Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam. Blessed are you, God, King of this world. Is there evil? Yes. But above all evil is God. That's Malchuyot. That's the, or, that's the beginning of optimism is that announcement. Any questions before I move on to the second section? I know. So somebody direct messaged me, um, you know, but then a disaster will strike and we'll wonder about why do bad things happen to good people? Of course, we wonder about it. And like I said, of course, evil persists in this world. You know, Maimonides is, for me, a voice of optimism. I don't know if it works for everyone, but his rationalism around disasters, for me, feels helpful, where he says a lot of natural disasters that happen in this world come from human ignorance. Um, Human beings are still not fully aware of the push-pull forces that create a volcano, a forest fire, uh, a a flooding incident. We actually are are starting to know more and more about it. And he says there are steps human beings can take to protect themselves other than asking God to stop the natural order of this universe. Natural order of the universe is okay. Viruses are exist. They're part of it. When we understand it better and we can become more and more intelligent, we could combat it better. That's his approach to it. So it's there is a wisdom to the order of this world. Do we understand it? No, we're getting closer, but we're still extremely far away. That's something any any scientist, any any anyone intelligent will tell you. We're so far away. We think whatever we do know is only having scratched the surface of what we see as this div- divinely, infinitely ordered and structured uh, 
universe that we live in. After we read Malchuyot, again, it's, it's a call to Hakadosh, but it's, it's a simultaneous call to God that we're saying, assume your ascendancy in this world. We want you to be the king of the world. We declare you king of the world. And as we're saying it, we're reaffirming that inside of ourselves. I believe that there is a larger power to this world and that it is good. The second part is zichronot, okay, which means remembrance. This, by the way, this class, the reason I'm giving it, it's good to have a free class, is because like four months ago, the Alumni Association of Flatbush said, can we give, can you do a class in August? I'm like, I don't know, I guess. So it's all, I don't know, I don't know what I'm doing in four months from now. And we put this date on it. So this is part of like a class given by Flatbush Alumni Association. I graduated from Flatbush in 1994. We're going to talk about remembrance for a minute, Okay. Um, I, if you know my story, then you know that I actually, I went to Prospect Park Yeshiva till for all of elementary school. And then I went to Shalom at high school for ninth grade. And in ninth grade, my parents turned to me and they said, we're putting you in Flatbush high school. And I was like, what? I don't know anyone there. Why would you do that? They're like, we want you to, they said, we want you to be normal. I was like, what? Um, no commentary on if you didn't go to Flatbush, but that was their attempt at, at making me more normal. So they put me in Flatbush High School. I knew a couple of girls because they used to, I used to go to summer camp, but like my awards in summer camp were like best reader on the side of the group that didn't participate. You know, like I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't have, I didn't know anybody. Um, and I think that when people think that they've graduated from high school, they're like kidding themselves. I've spent the entire summer in Deal, New Jersey, a wonderful place. It's an, I'm in Allenhurst, actually. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful community. I love everybody. But how many times this summer have I seen high school recurring with 50-year-olds? Like a lot. What is high school that keeps recurring? Oh my God, she had 50 people. She didn't invite me. What I, okay. I exercise with her every morning. I don't even know. I exercise with her every morning. Okay. Then exercise classes. Oh my God. Every Syrian girl is completely skinny. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. Okay. That's the conversation after exercise class. Then it's like, that's her rabbi. He's insane. He's a complete black cat. I don't even know. Right. Then it's, they're not vaccinating their kids no matter what. And they didn't vaccinate them and they sent them to the party with Corona. Okay. That's the other conversations. Um, high school doesn't end in that. Like the lunch table, the, like the looking at each other, the feeling of seeing and being seen judgment, a lot of judgment. Um, somebody at a wedding recently said to me, um, what was, I want to remember the word he used. Um, um, I, th- I believe the word was generous. And he was talking about, I think my father-in-law who's on the Zoom, I always talk about him. Um, he said, you know, we were talking about something. You said, you know, there's so few generous minded people left like your father-in-law in the world. What did he mean? He was talking about like that you approach everyone with, with, with optimism, with kindness, with like the dan le this idea that let me just see the best in everyone. Let me look for the good. Let me say that things are, let me try not to feel 
what, um, you know, when I talk to people about their high school experience, by the way, and somebody says, oh my God, I loved every minute of high school. It was amazing. I remember one time somebody said to that to me and I was like, wait, were you a cheerleader? And they're like, yes. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yes. For many people, it was an amazing experience where everybody loved them and everybody thought they were fantastic. For most high schoolers, I would say like 80%, it's the agony of feeling left out, feeling like you're not a part of, feeling not good enough. And that agony, while it does ease as we get older, remains. And so few people engage day to day with the generosity and humility and kindness that you need in order to create a feeling when people are around you of this feels safe. I feel so safe here right now. I feel so accepted. I feel like it's okay to be me. I feel like if I forgot to call someone, they already forgave me, right? That's my dream, by the way. My dream in life is that you all forgive me for not returning your text. Please, every year before Rosh Hashanah, I say the same thing. Please forgive me if I didn't get back to you or if I forgot to get back to you. It was not intentional. Also, in my mind, I gave all of you birthday presents and like knocked on your door. In my mind... I'm Shifra Hannon, but in my actions, I'm not at all. We honored her the other night. In my mind, I'm like, I think thoughts of being like her, but it's so far away. She actually will be at your door with a gift. I'm mentally at your door. Please give me credit for it. Um, So the point of this is the second aspect, after the optimism that there is a larger, positive, beneficent, divine order to the world, in Zichronot, what we're going to say is we want to remember... First of all, when we, when we do Zichronot in the Tifilah, what we're remembering are all the times that God forgave us, okay? That he was generous with us, that he recalled us and saved us. So those examples are things like Yitziat Mitzrayim, okay? Or like when he remembers the Imahot and they have children, generosity, so when we call upon God in Zichronot, we're calling for him to be generous, to remember us, to think of us generously and kindly. Does that make sense? Do you hear what I'm saying? Like you think of a person, you remember them, and then you say, I wish them well. I wish them good. So again, we're, gonna, we're using it on two levels. On the first level, it's we're recalling, we're saying to Hashem, please remember us. Remember our relationship. Remember that we have a covenant, a berit with one another. In Zirchonot, we talk about the berit all the time. Remember that we are in a relationship with one another. And that relationship means, I always use the example of a marriage, right? I, I know that in the modern, you have to forgive me for the analogy because you have to say it's not perfect. But in, in the modern parlance, people like divorce is very common. But I want you to think about the commitment of marriage as a, a, a lifelong commitment to abide by a relationship despite the ups and downs, right? So yes, in, in a healthy marriage, you have a crazy fight on Monday and on Thursday night, you're out for dinner, right? Um, and you are able to like move, move through that with each other because you remember that you're in it for the long haul. You like recall the good. You put away the bad. Hashem says to us in all of the Torah and in our Rosh Hashanah tefillah, we remind him of this, that we his relationship with us goes above and beyond a marriage relationship because 
in a marriage, certain things will break a relationship. Infidelity, right? You could break a relationship. God says, there's no version of reality where you can break this relationship. That's why the better analogy that we like to go to is the parent-child relationship. There's no for, there's nothing that you could do as a child that will erase your parents' commitment to loving you, to caring for you, and forgiving you. It doesn't mean they don't get angry. It doesn't mean that there might be a time that you don't talk for your like you could you have to think of how terrible a parent-child relationship can get. You've heard, I'm sure, stories of, of people who have really suffered and struggled in those relationships. But there is a permanence to it that's inherent in the relationship itself. That is the second part of our Rosh Hashanah Tefillah, our optimism around the permanence of our relationship with God, which means that we always have room for generosity, for returning, for forgiveness, because the relationship is permanent, right? That's what we want to say to to Hashem. But then what are we saying to ourselves, right? So we're reminding Hashem that we believe in Him, and then we remind ourselves, be optimistic, there's a Creator, we remind Hashem that we um, that we're in a permanent relationship with Him. But what does that mean for us? Oh wait, I'm in a permanent covenantal relationship. I am bound by certain laws, and the core of those laws is how I treat my fellow man. The core of those laws is how I treat my fellow man. If I'm asking for generosity and remembrance and acceptance from God today. Doesn't my fellow man deserve the same? I want to read you a little story. One second. Let me see. Let me see. Give me a second. I have to make my screen small to see it. So I'm going to be looking at a piece of paper. This is a story from the Gemara. Um, It says, when Rabbi Zerah felt aggrieved by any man, he used to walk back and forth before him. I would make himself available to him so that the wrongdoer would come and appease him. That's the story briefly. I'm going to read you another one in a minute. Basically, it's saying this rabbi, if if somebody had done something wrong to him, or if he felt wronged, he would make himself very, very available to that person. He would keep like bumping into them, showing up in front of their house, so that there would be an opportunity for reconciliation. I think that that is an astounding act of generosity and humility. And I would challenge everybody who's listening right now. Could you do that? Um, I would say about myself, yes, I could do it with certain, like there's certainly a lot of people I would feel comfortable about, but there's always that person that I'm really angry at. You know what I mean? The one that really, really, I'm really upset at. That I say, no, uh, they, don't des- they don't deserve a phone call. They don't deserve for me to like approach them. No, they, did, they, they should be seeking me out. Why do I have to go seek them out? I'm the victim. The level of, uh, like, again, I'm going to use the level of generosity, of remembrance that we're being demanded of on Rosh Hashanah. This is the optimism of reconciliation, Okay. The optimism that comes from believing in reconciliation, that broken relationships can be repaired. Now, whenever I give a class like this, there's always someone who has a story in their mind 
about a relationship that cannot or should not be reconciled every time. Their brain goes to some something like, and, and they'll call me up afterwards and they'll tell me the story. And I want to just tell you in advance some answers I've given. One of them was, you know what? You, have, you tried for five years to reconcile. It's okay. Now you need your distance. Or, you know what? I understand there's a lot of toxicity there. Um, and maybe reconciliation is dangerous because sometimes people think reconciliation means re-engaging completely in an unhealthy relationship. You don't need to do that. But what you do need to do is find a way to release yourself and the other person from the cycle of toxicity. So either you have to say, you know what? They're struggling with something. I forgive them. I'm going to let go of this. Or you have to find a way to repair. Um, this is the demand of, of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. But it's also, if we don't believe that two, I'm going to say women, although we have mixed people, two women who live like 10 blocks away from each other can figure out how to reconcile a relationship, right? If we don't believe, and we're not optimistic about that, how are we going to be optimistic about like two countries who have been back and forth at war, right? The Torah feels that this starts on the, on the, on the micro level, on human beings figuring out how to be kind, generous, optimistic in their relationships, committed to the long term. The long term is that we share the earth and we share this planet. And that's, there's no way that that's going away. You're, you're, not, you're not escaping these relationships. So you need to be optimistic about them and optimistic about them becoming healthier and better. Um, look at Israel's relationship with Germany. Does anybody keep track of that? Germany, our, our arch enemy and destroyed 6 million Jews, right? Is currently one of the few countries in the world that Israel can depend on. Well, you could say, listen, this, it's part of their, their reparation. Yes, it is. It is part of their, rec their reconciliation. Part of their teshuvah is that when Israel is in trouble, Germany often will be the only country defending it and standing up for it. I don't, I don't know that anybody paid attention that during the craziness in April, May, that Germany was unshakable in its support for Israel and would not engage in discussing how uh, Palestinian rights, that was not on its agenda. It does not do that. Relationships can change. Your relationship with God and with others. Be optimistic about it. Be optimistic about it because there's no way you're asking forgiveness or looking for reconciliation on Yom Kippur if you're not feeling optimistic on Rosh Hashanah, okay? Last one. The last one is Shofarot. That's the last section. Um, I think it's exciting and interesting that in 2021, we go to a shul and listen to somebody like blow on a ram's horn. I think it's fascinating. Like, does anybody ever think of it that way? Like, oh my goodness. Like all standing around listening to somebody blow into a ram's horn. It's, it's, it's so ancient, but it is so powerful because every year when it happens, again, I don't know about the rest of you, I do feel something. It does trigger something. I have a feeling when a guy, if he does it the right way, a guy, you have to tell whoever's blowing the show, like, like when they're sputtering and they can, I feel so sad. It's such a sad moment. We're all with them. Like Hazin, he's parched. What are we going to do? You got to get a good, you know, they have to do a good job, but when they do it the right way, 
it is, it shakes you. It does. It moves you and it moves you. Now, a lot of people think that when we blow the shofar, which is really an activity that we only do on Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, it's at the very end, the last thing. We do not blow shofar on Yom Kippur. Don't, don't confuse the two holidays. We only blow shofar on Rosh Hashanah. It's, it's actually known as the holiday of the, of the shofar blowing. That's its ID. It is the, the, the festival for blowing of the horn. So a lot of people think it's supposed to make them scared and sad and afraid. But it is not, actually. Um, I will read you something else. This is from the Gemara. It says, um, we do not recite remembrance, kingship, and shofad verses that are punitive in nature. I'm going to say that again. The verses in your, in your Sidor that you're going to read about shofarot, None of them are allowed to be about bad things or scary things or dark things. They are all happy things. Like when Mashiach comes, we're going to blow the shofar. When we have a happy time, we're going to blow the shofar. When we see the Aron HaKodesh, we blow the shofar. When Hashem comes into the midst of Israel, they blew the shofar. The only verses we read are about blowing a shofar for redemptive purposes. Did you all know that? Did you remember this? Is it something that we've learned together? It's important. Rosh Hashanah is about optimism. When you blow the shofar, you're not supposed to feel scared. You're supposed to, you're supposed to feel optimistic about the future. You're supposed to say, well, I, I'm going to call upon the presence of awesomeness in my life. I'm going to feel a sense of the awesome." I'm going to let myself be shaken awake to good, not shaken awake to terror, shaken awake to the possibility of goodness and the possibility that life could turn on a dime. Yes, it could turn on a dime to the negative. We know this. It's the horror of existence. That's Tisha B'Av. Tisha B'Av is one minute everything was good, the next minute everything is bad. Rosh Hashanah is one minute everything was bad, the next minute everything gets better. It wants you to know that things will get better. That's you, you're blowing the shofar because you're trying to awaken the best parts of yourself, right? Um, despair and anxiety don't usually lead to productive action. I only say that because it's a mantra that I have to remind myself every morning because I live in a state of anxiety all the time, right? It doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything. Um, this is why we say like happy people are usually kinder. Right, you know this, right? People who feel good about themselves have an easier time being nice. People who feel good about the world have an easier time composting. Maybe I'm just giving a random. I don't know. Sari Sit said she's gonna come, like they didn't come pick up her compost bags, and I was like, you know what? I should really try composting this year. And then I was like, oh, but I'm so busy with work, so I gave into like very negative talk. And then I'm like, just try it, just freaking compost for a minute. You could do it. I'm interested, guys. I want to know. That's like one of my goals. That's just, that's, it's a side point. Um, the point was, if you feel like they're never going to pick up the compost bag, you're not going to compost. But if you think you have hope about it, you're going to try to do something. If we feel that our actions and our activities are going to lead to positive 
then we, we engage in it more often. Shofarot, the last section of Atukilat, is supposed to awaken us to the fact that we should be optimistic about the future. We should feel that in arousing ourselves to action and activity, that it's for a healthy and a good purpose, that we can have a profoundly positive and productive impact on this world. We have to let ourselves graduate from high school. I'm being serious. No alumni talk, I'll end by that. Like, I think what plagued me most in high school was like a feeling of, I don't know, even I was only 16, 17. 16, 17 year olds are so dramatically negative and positive, by the way. When they're happy, they're like ecstatic. When they're sad, it's like, it's the end of the world. My little niece, who's three, cut one of her fingers this morning. It was like a little paper cut. The entire house got activated about Neosporin and a Band-Aid. We were like, Neosporin! Um, because we know there's like a drama to youth. Like the dramatic, like everything is horrible. Maturity says everything is not horrible. Everything's not amazing. Like, I mean, everything's going to be. We're going to, we're mature. And the maturation says, I'm mature enough to go over to somebody I wronged and say, I'm sorry. I'm mature enough to do it. I've graduated from high school. I could do that now. I'm mature enough to believe that the world can and will get better. I'm mature enough to believe that I, as a human being, am powerful and can have a positive impact in the sphere that I impact. No. No, I am not putting out forest fires in Israel. It doesn't make sense. I shouldn't have spent a whole night thinking about it, right? But I can do other things. We all can. We're all extremely capable, powerful people. Here's how I want to end. Absorb this. Think about it. When you approach Hashanah and say, wow, I'm supposed to be in a real, I have to practice optimism right now. My optimism is going to take me into Yom Kippur because it's going to let me be mature and hopeful enough to knock on some doors, to do real repentance and self-reflection, to believe that I could grow and change. I believe it. I believe I can grow and change. I believe I could repair relationships. I believe things are going to be better if I make choices to make things better. And I want to end on this. I, I think and Stephanie is here. I think Stephanie and I were walking the other day. I think I said this to you that in my life, I do not ever remember people being this angry on the planet. Like, I don't ever remember, like, cousins that I've always loved and been friends with, like, having them walk out of a room if we said the wrong thing about politics or vaccines. I don't remember that. Maybe it always was, but I didn't experience. I don't remember people hating each other as much as they do right now. So divided, so upset. I think it's a little better than it was last year, but still, it's still really bad. We're still not united. We're still not being generous and friendly with each other. We're not trying to listen to the other side and be forgiving. Um, there is a lot of insanity in the world. There's a lot of extremism. I want to just say extremist thinking. If it's you, and I don't think it's us. I love it. I see the Zoom. We're like, we're not the extremists. But extremists are caught in a non-humble narrative. There's no humility to extremism. Humility says, maybe I'm wrong. Extremism says, I know I'm right and you're all crazy and I hate you for not agreeing with me. Don't be that. Don't engage that way. Don't allow yourself to get caught in extremist thinking because it's the opposite of everything that Rosh Hashanah is about. There's a vacuum cleaner in the background. Do you hear it? Am I okay? Uh, <laughs> 
don't uh, don't allow extremist insane thinkers to change your identity and now i want to tell you the last thing you in staying humble and generous will have a profound effect on the extremists around you you will because they're going to want to people love friendship actually and they love camaraderie and they love unity more than divisiveness it wins let yourself be the person that represents that in the world be optimistic going into yom kippur do the work you have to do to repair yourself and the people around you the relationships around you i wish us all a lot of success in this journey it's very hard i'm very optimistic but i think it's difficult if you need an apology from me and you want to walk up and down in front of my house the best way to do it is like send me like a random text saying hey heard your class and then dot 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 and then i'll know that i owe you an apology and i'll send you one but maybe find a way to let people that you are hurt by know that you're feeling hurt so that they have an opportunity to, to beg for forgiveness uh let's open ourselves up let's be a little bit more vulnerable a little bit more gracious and i wish us all a wonderful and new year yay Esther, can i say something real quick yeah thank you so much first um i don't know i'm sorry i got on very late but i wanted to thank you um i'm hilister i'm the director of development and sarah rubenfeld who is um the alumni engagement coordinator for shiva flatbush um I'm, we're so lucky to have you on our team oh, um i wanted to thank you for this really inspiring humbling um talk and very thought-provoking um even though i'm driving i'm thinking about everything that you just said and i'm thinking the list of people that i need to call and all that but i really want to say thank you to everybody who joined us and thank you to you and happy rosh hashanah and uh, happy new year healthy um and really successful to everybody thank you thank you hila thank you alumni association it was a lot of fun nothing Hey, Hila said it all. I love you. Have a nice holiday, everybody. You too. Thank, Thank you. you, Irina. Thank Only you. good things. Bye, Bye, everyone. Bye. Who did I press? Ooh, I pressed it.